Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Or a few verses earlier in Ephesians 4.29, let there be no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Life in Christ. Welcome to the podcast of The Landing. My name is Brent Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here, and with me today is Kevin Johnson, one of our elders. Welcome, Kevin. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's so much fun to talk with you and the other elders about the teaching that you all have been providing in our adult Sunday school class. Last year, you taught through Wayne Grudem's large volume on systematic theology. This year, the four of you are teaching in a rotating fashion through the second large volume, Christian Ethics. How is the experience for you as a teacher? It's great. I think a lot of people, when they think about systematic theology, they think that, you know, like, what do I do with this? Right. And uh, I guess the opposite could be potentially true here. They're like, there's just, now I've got this list of things, that, yeah. but uh, all of this, both the systematic theology and biblical ethics, really ought to point us vertically. It yeah. ought to make us greater worshipers. And so I think that's the tone. I think that's the, the emphasis that each of us have had. I'm very thankful to the Lord for this. I'm hoping and praying that it strengthens the body yeah. and whoever might listen. Today we're talking about purity of speech. It's chapter 11 in Dr. Grudem's book, Christian Ethics, uh, but it's a, it's a massive topic. In fact, we're going to do two episodes on this topic because purity of speech is such a large topic. It informs so much of our lives as Christians. Where does Grudem begin when he thinks about purity of speech? What, what does he start with? He starts with the third commandment. Uh, so I think when you look at Exodus 20, verse 7, the third commandment, in many ways, communicates to us what the rest of the Bible affirms with respect to purity of speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you read that, turn with me, Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, you know, today we talk about a name and it there's not a lot of gravitas to that, right. but back in the day, a name communicated something about a person's character, their essence, their reputation. So it was a big deal to take someone's name in vain because you're saying something. You're been smirching Brent Nelson or Kevin Johnson, uh, and, and it said our name meant something. And so um, that is kind of the root of this, and mm-hmm. really the first half of the chapter really deals with that. Yeah. So it's, it puts a fine point on purity of speech. Now it's not just purity of speech in the broad category. He gets into that, but he begins with the most important speech, taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. The other part of this that I found interesting is take in vain. You know, what does that even mean? That doesn't mean much to us in common parlance. Sure. I'm not going around talking to my coworkers uh, about doing something in vain. It's just not common language. So Grudem says, and I think it'd be most literally translated as, to lift up to worthlessness. So take someone's essence, their character, their worth, and lift it up as if it were no value. Hold it up as if it's something throwaway. And it doesn't mean anything. It's just frivolous. When you think about it more broadly, historic understanding of the name, you think about holding up to worthlessness, that third commandment really extends to, the, to condemning the defamation or impingement of God's character or reputation, including at the most extreme end, cursing God. But it can be very broad when you think about us being image bearers of God. So what's an example of taking God's name in vain that we might not immediately think of? Well, I think the ones that are more obvious would be someone saying, 
oh my God, and not doing so and like they are exclaiming something as an act of worship or yeah. dependence on him. Yeah. Um, that would be one way that's real obvious. Sometimes out in public, you're in a construction site and someone might hammer their their thumb or something and say, Jesus Christ. And again, it's not an act of worship there. It's yeah. an, uh, So in those cases, you're holding it up as worthless. The name doesn't mean anything. It's just basically a reaction. When Grudem moves into the area of cursing, that's not. That's another topic that um, maybe can can bear some clarity because sometimes in our culture we might think of cursing as just using foul language, and we have a certain list of of uh, no no words. Yeah. But but cursing probably means more than that. Yeah. The, what you're talking about, the way we use today, is actually his third category, profanity. Cursing is is a subject where phrases calling for the condemnation of God's or God's judgment on a person. Such variations as "go to hell." Um, and clearly that people probably don't think of it with that weightiness, but, um, that, that would be cursing is, and Christians were explicitly called not, they were forbidden from that kind of language. Instead, they were called to bless. So if we looked at say Luke chapter six, verse 28, Romans 12, 14, James three, eight through 10, Luke six, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you or Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So we're given examples of blessing, not cursing. So, so we're talking about a person with a, the resident Holy Spirit inside helping them to do exactly the opposite of what their flesh wants to do. Right. <laughs> if right. someone's harmed you, this person automatically, according to Luke and, Ro- and Paul writing in Romans, he's writing to people who are automatically, naturally, without the help of the Holy Spirit, going to curse back the one who's first cursed them. Right. And he says, no, don't do that, but bless them, the exact opposite of cursing. Part of my struggle has been in my Christian life, how do I do that without being a phony? Mm. How do I bless the one who has cursed me without doing it in this cold, mechanical way? The Bible tells me I have to bless you. I really want to do harm to you right now, but I'm going to stir up my self-control and I'm just going to do the right thing. Yeah, you could you could do the right thing the wrong way. And yeah. I think that's where you're going yes. in some ways yeah. is that you could mechanically just turn the other cheek. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to grip my way through yeah. this. And that certainly will, that's a measure of restraint, but that is not blessing instead of cursing. And our call harkens back to Abraham's call on in his covenant with uh, with God and that he was supposed to be blessing to the nations. And that's really, we are the fulfillment. If you have Holy Spirit resident in us, we are the fulfillment. Of, we are to be the blessing to the nations. And so um, I think really for me, where it grounds down to is where's my identity? That's helpful to think of it. That's been my own experience too, thinking about how God had every right and reason to curse me in my sin, but chose to bless me. Right. Out of the goodness of his heart, Deuteronomy 7 says, he loved me because he loved me. And out of that overflow of his sovereign and free love, I then can say, Lord, fill up my heart and enable me to want to bless those who actually have cursed me. Right. I'm not sure I'm there. No, none of us are on this side of heaven. But um, there's probably countless ways you could non-verbally curse someone. So Mm -hmm. I'll leave that in the Holy Spirit's work to do in people's letter listenings. (laughs) I'm not their judge. Sure, sure. Um, But the third category, which is one that often people think of as cursing, which is use of unclean or obscene language. I think something that's helpful as we think about their ethical impulse in this category is how does the use of profanity or vulgarity communicate or impact 
our reputation, hmm. and what might the use of such words ascribe to the gospel? When mm-hmm. we think about, all right, we are images bearers of God, we are ambassadors of Christ, our reputation is going to reflect on God's reputation, because we are identified, the gospel is identified with that. So uh, we can think of verses like Ephesians 5, 4 that underscore uh, we should refrain from the use of vulgarity, so, such as, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Or, uh, a few verses earlier in Ephesians 4.29, let there be no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I was just listening to Paul Tripp um, a little bit earlier, and he said words can have a trajectory. I mean, they lead to life, or they can lead to death. So we want to be the blessing. We want to be uh, quickly depositing grace in people's accounts through our words. What are other... We wouldn't want to say, would we, that there's a certain secret vocabulary list to avoid. Profanity isn't a matter of sort of checking into this community of people and finding out what's the vocabulary that is forbidden, the taboo vocabulary. That's not how we navigate this, this avoid this sin of profanity. I, I would hate to uh, boil it down to just a, a handful of list of words. Kind of that mechanical. Is not, That's right. too mechanical. It yeah. is. Yeah, I, I think that, again, we're supposed to be agents of grace. So that should be our impulse, not uh, which words can I get away with and which words can I not? It suggests, especially as you read Ephesians 4.29, but only such as is good for building up. It suggests a certain knowledge of the people you're talking to. Mm. I need to be aware of how my words are going to impact the people who I'm talking to. Right. So that my words will be construed clearly, simply, and quickly as upbuilding and grace-giving, mm-hmm. not as withholding of grace and not as unclear. So our words can actually uh, be customized to strengthen. And you find that in, in Jesus, you find that in Moses, you find that in the psalmist David and other psalm writers, you find that in Paul and Peter and so on. There's so m- much grace. I mean, the Bible is itself the means uh, by which we absorb the grace of God. We hear the gospel, we see it enacted, we experience the life of Scripture, and it impacts our lives with God's grace. Uh, but that's also an example, not only to receive the grace for ourselves, but to say, Lord, let my life, like Moses, Paul, Jesus, and Peter, be saturated with grace as I speak. Help me to be aware of and use clarity when I'm communicating so that my words build up and don't tear down. And we, when we fail in those areas, we trust that the blood of Christ, the grace of Christ has covered that sin as well. I can remember one time I was a, I was a teenager and I was on a uh, joint multi-church youth group in a bus with other teenagers. And this is a painful memory for me. This is a confession of sin. I was just giddy having a fun time and I was playing with some other friends in the very back of the bus and we started laughing about everything we saw. And I remember, I don't remember what I said, but I remember saying something condemning or kind of critical or kind of uh, uh, like a joke to one of the other students who was coming from another church, a person I didn't know. And I could see on their face how I had hurt them. And I remember going up to that person later and saying, uh, I'm sorry for what I said. I don't even remember what I said. But I remember the look on their face. Like my words cut them and hurt them. And I, I remember feeling so ashamed and convicted. Even to this day, this is about 40 years ago. Uh, it's an interesting memory. I, I, I take it as a gift from God to remember not to let words ever condemn or mock or put down or joke. 
praise God that he is so gracious and that he convicted you of that. Hopefully there was restoration there. Well, this has been wonderful. Uh, what When you think about the blessing of studying through great material, looking at God's Word this way, Kevin, and, and as you've helped us so much in this conversation, are there any practical applications that you have found helpful in your life? Either a long time ago, recent, in any sphere that comes to your mind, is there any way in which purity of speech is ongoing growth area, is a place or a, an experience of victory for you? is one in which you find Thanksgiving rising to the Lord for the way he's worked in your life. Yes. I think with all things, when you start studying for and teaching on something, God gives ample opportunity. <laughs> so I can see how much grace I need, even in the weeks of studies I prepared to, to teach on this. So if you, like I, struggle with words, know there's grace for you, brother mm-hmm. and sister. So yes, I think this is uh, ways we can be helpful I think if we remember our image, if we remember that we are image bearers of God and what our identity is in Christ, that can be really helpful. It really ought to weigh us not so much down as to what can we and we cannot say, right. but we can think again of ourselves as agents of grace, ambassadors for Christ. That's and good. Our natural impulse, we focus on the negative part of those two verses from Ephesians, but the positive part was to give thanks, be thanksgiving. Yeah. Or on, on the other verse was to... Give grace. Yeah. I mean, he's talking about the condemnation. That's the wrong impulse, but the right impulse is to give thanksgiving to God, right. to give grace as a means, a vehicle of God to others. Right. And so that does fulfill our mandate of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. Amen. Amen. So the strategy, uh, it strikes me for the first time I've had this thought as you were sharing. When Ephesians 5 says, give thanks for all circumstances, that's also a strategy for how to guide your speech so that it is not cutting anyone down. Yeah. It's not harming or, or, or uh, condemning anyone because you are adopting a strategy of thanks in all circumstances. Right. And a healthy, robust view of sovereignty ought to re- have us recognize right. this is an opportunity to use your tongue for grace, even That's if right. it's our fleshly impulses otherwise. That's right. Oh, so good. So good. I'm, I'm encouraged. Thank you so much. Um, we, we have much more to say about purity of speech. In fact, chapter 11 in Dr. Wayne Grudem's book on Christian ethics goes into future topics. And so when we, when we start our second episode, we'll talk more about taking oaths and vows. Mm-hmm. Dr. Grudem's teaching on that is so helpful, as is yours. Then the topic of humor. What role does humor have in the Christian life? And how can we use that for upbuilding? Right. So those two topics we'll take up next time. Uh, thank you for being a part of this conversation. Thanks Karen. for having me. I want to pray. Father in heaven, thank you for time together with Kevin and those listening to this podcast as we've talked about purity of speech. Would you cause our speech to be pure? Would you cause our hearts to be pure as we rest and trust in you and out of our hearts speak what is pure? Thank you that you do that for us. And you not only speak purely for us and to us, but you transform our hearts so that what naturally would be unholy and impure now by the miracle of the new birth has become pure. Thank you for working that miracle in all your people and causing it to grow degree by degree as we grow in the image of Christ. In his precious name, I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.